Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. You're listening to the Bellarmine Forum podcast. This is John Manos, your show host and president of the Bellarmine Forum. Today's episode, an empty hell means there is no triumph of the cross. Today is the feast of the exaltation of the holy and life-giving cross. Is it called in the East or the triumph of the cross in the West? What people say and what they really believe are often different, aren't, isn't it? I mean, let's take the case of the English freethinker Hobbes. He spent his whole life stridently asserting that there was no God nor angel, still less that there was a devil or a hell. Despite all this strident insistence, however, he had a great dread of evil spirits, and he was known to be deathly afraid to sleep in a room alone. What he openly denied, he secretly believed. Many people do that stuff. We, they, we want to make constructs, uh, fascinations, or, or fantasies, and live in fantasy land, but we know sometimes the liar can't even believe their own lie, so they have to get louder about it, the big lie. And so it is with hell. Some people, starting with a, a, a thought experiment by Han, uh, theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar, who... Uh, came up with this idea that it, it, we can have the audacity to hope that hell would be empty. And really, it's, it's, it was meant to be, even my, from his own statements, it was meant to be the, exploring the idea of whether the crucifixion was adequate to save us all from sins. Of course, the answer is yes. But the problem with the book is the way it's worded and with it coming in the middle of modernism is that it leaves doubts about whether anybody goes to hell. That's the problem with it. So some interpreting that and some running with the idea uh, believe that hell might be empty. Hell's empty. There's no hell, right? So many people run from that supposition and they think it's empty and, they, and they're, they're not far from thinking there's no hell, but we know better. Besides being a dogma of the church, besides our Lord talking about it, besides our lady talking about it, this idea of what is different, people believe differently than they say sometimes. It's funny because St. Maximilian Colby in the index for the two volumes of all his writings, there's there's a couple little entries on hell, hardly any. It, it, it's kind of surprising. But of the five or six references in the index, two of them refer to times that he spoke to Buddhist teachers. And he asked them, he said, the Buddhists taught there's a heaven and a hell, but their teachers don't believe it. And he, he confronted those teachers on it. And he said that, you know, why don't you believe this? And you're deceiving people and teaching something you don't believe in. And the Buddhist replied, nothing can be done about that. It was idiomatic Japanese. It's basically, you know, that's the way it is and we're not changing it. I agree with Colby. Colby protested it. And he said, it's not right to teach about things that are untrue. Think about that. If heaven and hell do not exist, everyone should know the truth. But if they do exist, then they must apply to everyone because everyone is equal before God. That's Maximilian Colby. And I agree with him. 
Why have a dogma that hell exists if it's just empty and nobody's there? You know better than that. Similarly, we've had Notre Dame in the news lately. You might have seen the skerfuffle with Lou Holtz and uh, Notre Dame and all kinds of positioning. And, and it's sad to me that uh, uh, Notre Dame in France, the roof burned, recall that, uh, a while back. But Notre Dame University has this septic stu- uh, sewage smell of modernism that comes out of it. And one of the sources of that is the late uh, Father Richard McBrien, definitely encouraged left doubts out there so people could run with modernist empty thinking and lots of error he had a book called catholicism that was a bestseller harper collins i think published it i could be wrong don't quote me on that but it was a major publisher i think it was harper collins and it was meant to be like a catechism modern catechism for the neo-church for the you know this is the way this is what we believe that we're moving ahead of we're progressing to the new church and in that, he, he emphasized the church has never taught that anyone is in hell. I guess, you know, semantically as a lawyer, yeah, he's probably right. But uh, given everything that the saints say and that the fathers of the church, yeah, there is. So he's wrong. He's wrong that way. But countless people, festered by McBrien's uh, little short talk, kind of like Hobbes, you know, they run with it and they get they say that hell's just a scare tactic and nobody really goes there and the church doesn't teach that. And then you get the idiots. You know, you get some people that are kind of smart in the middle, but then you get the idiots that hear those sound bites and then turn it into a fighting thing. Well, nobody's in hell. Church doesn't teach that anybody's gone there. Do we have no sympathy for these liars that do this stuff that would diminish the reality of hell? There's a possibility of hell after death the four last things church is very clear on it our lady warned us at fatima that hell was real and showed the little children the vision of people being tormented in hell that was hell where it was saints have constantly warned us indeed if you've been in a state of mortal sin before father harden would always say everyone in a state of mortal sin is an agent of the devil unfortunately I think it's very true. And I think people that have gotten themselves out of that, that if our lady has pulled out of a state of mortal sin, a regular thing, they all know hell's real because they began to live in it. They began to see it in this world. And if you talk to people that have had a long stint in mortal sin that have recovered, they know it's true, which just rings true immediately. They're like, it's true. So what good is it to prevaricate on the idea of an empty hell? I mean, it's one thing to use it as a thought experiment to say our Lord's crucifixion was enough that hell could be empty if everybody availed themselves of it. But free will, free will exists as well. Father Harden would uh, reply to these inane quips with, if hell's empty after all these years, then we must ask what crime does it take to get there? In all this time, there's nobody done a crime bad enough for hell in a you know the modernists persist in this stuff though we mentioned mcbrien and then you got curran who wound up uh, uh down at southern methodist and he used to be with the national catholic reporter uh he was on their board and he would write for them and stuff like that you know just to give you a sense of who praised mcbrien 
So when McBrien passed away a few years back, Curran said, no Catholic theologian in the United States has made a larger contribution to the reception of Vatican II than Richard McBrien did. Well, it's I always hate it that these liars like take the error and attach it to Vatican II. Vatican II didn't abrogate hell and didn't say that hell's empty. So to say that what McBrien was doing was a reception of Vatican II, well, it's just, that's not right. <laughs> but let's go a little bit deeper here, away from the stench. Let's assume that hell's just a scare tactic, like these people say for a moment. Maybe these people are right, right? Let's just see. Are they right? I I, I think that, uh, you know, St. Alphonsus Liguori, who I mentioned a few episodes back, he had terrifying sermons on sin and punishment. And scare tactics... Uh, were not needed he was being uh dramatic that's what people back then would say you don't need to scare sinners you're just being overly dramatic and rigid and you know that's just you shouldn't be doing that maybe bishop Barron's response to our lady's vision of hell to the children it was just a private revelation that allows some people to run away and say oh yeah it's not authoritative i'm sorry i happen to think that uh, nothing contrary to the faith was found in the visions from Fatima, and they were approved. So, yeah, while it's a private revelation, uh, I think it's something different to try to say that Our Lady's not authoritative on the subject. I don't think Bishop Barron means to say that, because when I state it that way, um, it sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? But I, I think that people interpreting what Bishop Barron were saying run with it in that direction, not realizing what it means. So you get people that run with this stuff and, and really there's, it shouldn't be with so much doubt and uncertainty that people can run in these large fields of error, right? That's the problem here. Allowing that, that broad wide air. I mean, it should be very clear. Yeah. There's people in hell. Yeah. You can go there. You know, and we talked about that I, last episode. I'd be careful on interpreting private revelations in that way because there are limits. You can't denigrate a private revelation. And not only that, I think when you look at something like Fatima and you look at the angels' responses that I mentioned in the last episode, I'd be careful treading on those waters. And you know it. You, you know, even in your own experience, of course there's people in hell. Our Lady of Fatima was right. And I can prove to you why. She said, pray and repent and do penance. Today is the feast of the triumph of the cross. September 14th. It celebrates the day that St. Helen's quest to find and recover the true cross. The year was 326. And what had happened was a temple to Jupiter had been constructed in Palestine. It was built over uh, the site where, where, where the crosses were, where they'd been buried. Well, the temple fell apart, and, and they were excavating, and they found three crosses in the Titleus. I happen to have a relic of St. Helen and the title of the cross. I don't have a relic of the true cross, but I do have a, a relic of the title. That's the portion that was 
Pilate put on the cross that said, this is the king of the Jews. That's the Titleist. The problem was the Titleist wasn't attached to one of the crosses, and they couldn't figure out which one of the three crosses was the one our Lord was on. I'd want to know which cross Dismas was on, too. I mean, Dismas is, come on, a good thief that stole heaven? Unfortunately, you know, I, I do have a, a relic of St. Dismas also. So this is, this is very dear to me. It's a, a tender and close to me. Why? Because when we look at the cross, our Lord went through that. If hell was empty, if there was no hell, if it was just a scare tactic, why would our Lord endure the cross? It speaks directly to it. You cannot at the same time observe the passion and crucifixion of our Lord and not realize something terrible, something awful, hell exists. And people can go there or our Lord would not have endured that. So back to the crosses. There was a woman that had been sick, chronically ill, diseased for a long time. They touched, they had her touch each of the crosses. Upon touching the true cross, she was healed. So they thought, excellent, we found the true cross. That's today's feast. It's a celebration of this. But it even goes on. St. John Chrysostom tells us that not only had that happened, but a funeral that was passing by. They brought the true cross to the funeral, touched it to the deceased, and he rose from the dead. Bingo. If you don't believe in hell, you've got a problem with believing in the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of our Lord and why he would do that. It has to be terrible. It has to be real, or our Lord would not have endured that out of love for us. You have to ask yourself, there's no hell. Why would Jesus do that? Why suffer the cross? St. Bellarmine. Our namesake was apt to say that the trouble with Calvin is that he could not admit how much God loves each of us. That cross tells us how much God loves us. It tells us how terrible sin is and how terrible the punishment for sin is too. The trouble with these moderns and weak teachers is that they, they love none of us. And they're afraid like Calvin to proclaim God's love for us. Jesus Christ endured the cross to rescue you, me, and everyone from hell. It's real, and people can go there. Glory to his cross and resurrection. Glory to Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, if there's some uh, hope that hell would be empty types, it was expressed by John the Baptist, right? John, John the Baptist told everyone, repent, make straight the way, be baptized, the Savior's coming. If everybody listened and did what St. John the Baptist said, hell would be empty. There's where if you have a hope that hell's empty, you run people to St. John the Baptist. He used to be on all the baptismal fonts in churches. You see his picture everywhere. Yeah, you don't see him in any modern churches. Actually, I hope he listens. A priest friend of mine pointed that out to me that he found that most disturbing that St. John the Baptist was disappearing from Catholic churches. The forerunner, my namesake, crucial to this whole argument. He's your hell could be empty guy. Just 
do what he says. He's the one that told us this great thing our Lord would do for us. So why would Our Lady choose to scare such little children if it weren't true that people go to hell? I mean, if we're just going to run down this path that hell's empty and it's a scare tactic and, you know, it's dramatic to talk about it and we shouldn't frighten people with it, those people are calling Our Lady wrong for doing that. Sister Lucia testified to it. The children in their witness to the bishop testified to the horrors. How terrible it was. Why would Our Lady just scare them like that if it wasn't real? She wouldn't. Like St. Maximilian Colby said, that would be a lie. And Our Lady doesn't lie. She never sinned. So that vision was real. And she loves us and wants us to choose to avail ourselves of salvation, the salvation merited by her son. What von Balthasar was trying to say is that the crucifixion was adequate to expiate this all sin everywhere. Hell could be empty if everybody chose to be saved. But they don't. If people avail themselves of it, they repent, turn to our Lord the way St. John the Baptist said, said, every one of them could be saved. And indeed, hell could be empty. Not everyone will take conversion, though. And don't be tempted to think hell's empty. If you want to hope in an empty hell, then do as John the Baptist did and speak of repentance. I mean, and John the Baptist did that to everybody. He even did it to Herod. Did Herod listen? What do you think happened to him? And about this private revelation thing. Let's just get that off the table. You know, there's something wrong if you speak bad about the proved revelations like Fatima and Akita. Oh, yeah, Akita is approved also. Let's listen to this. It's rather humorous, okay? All right, Father, this question is from A.S. Corum, New York. We're hearing a lot about Fatima lately. What is Fatima all about? And since this is a private revelation, should we feel bound to abide by its message? All right, Fatima is about Blessed Mother appearing to three children in Portugal and warning the whole world through the innocence and, and uh, uh, integrity of these children that the world is on the verge of, of terrible destruction maybe and punishment by the wrath of God because it has left God fall into atheism, advanced atheism and militarized atheism in the East called communism and soft corrupt atheism in the West with all the immorality you're seeing and all the abortion and all the uh, flight from truth the true church. Now, unless we return back to prayer and penance and a good Christian life which follows the Ten Commandments of God, a true conversion, true conversion, changed <laughs> our mind back to God, we're going to be punished. The little children give us the message. Now, why is it called a private revelation? Well, because it's made to three little children. That makes it private. But once the church puts a stamp of approval on it, it's no longer private. It's public. The church says here and now, this is a true revelation. Does that make it binding? This, uh, well, it makes it binding to this point. To believe it is not necessary to believe it to save your soul, but you may not consummatiously condemn it. If you do, 
You're attacking the authority of the church, which is infallible in these cases. She can't make a mistake about a, a revelation because that touches the faith and morals of the whole church. And when she puts her approval on it, she's teaching the whole world that Mary did appear here and these children are telling the truth. The other thing about it is this, that therefore we have to respectfully allow those who have devotion to it to practice that devotion. We may never ridicule it. We may never publicly deny it. Now, what is a revelation like this? St. Thomas tells us that God, who is a loving father, doesn't just give us what's necessary to be saved. He gives us much more. And private revelations are special favors that a parents would do to their children. So, Fatima, Lourdes, look at the special favor that our, that our Blessed Mother and God did for the Mexican Aztec Indians when Our Lady appeared wow. at Guadalupe. So, God is not one who measures every little thing. You know, unless you believe just this, you won't be saved. No, generous. he gives us generous. He, he's prodigal in his gifts. So, we should take that gift of Fatima as an overflowing of love on the part of Christ, on the part of the Holy Trinity, on the part of Mary to save our lives, to save society. And therefore, we should take it with a spirit of gratitude, of love. And then when the church puts her approval on it, we should say, this is a Catholic devotion. Anyone that wants to practice this devotion has a perfect right to do it without any fear of being in any way deceived into practicing a false devotion. It has the official approval of the church. Hence, when that official approval comes on, the Pope goes there, and practices the devotion before millions of people, it's no longer merely a private revelation. It's a revelation for the whole world, for the whole church. And how can you call a private revelation the dancing of the sun before 70,000 people? That's pretty public, don't you think? If you go to a football game before, before 70 or 100,000 people, you don't come back and say, well, I don't believe that that game took place yesterday because it was a private football game. I don't know. You, you were there. I don't have to believe it. I didn't see it. I didn't see it on TV. You just considered stupid if you take a position like that. Think so, sure. And some eggheads who think they know more than the church, unless they see God coming down and telling them personally, they want their personal treatment from God. They don't want to believe from their fellow man or from the church or the authority of the church. They say, unless I see it, it just I'm not going to pay attention to it. It's just for it's for, you know, the simple people in the street who are superstitious. They can practice that. You know, we're intelligent. We've graduated beyond that seat. We're much beyond that. That's pride. And that, that pride is a sin. And also, incredibly, uh, the children in July made known that the miracle would take place in October. October right. Bach Newman at the Covidaidia. Right. They uh, predicted. That's the, fantastic. They predicted the Second World War was predicted Precisely. in 1917. And it took place in 1930. You remember when the Nazis uh, attacked Poland. So this was the warning. If one looks at it objectively and studies the predictions and then studies the fulfillment, one has to say there is more here than meets the, meets the ordinary eye. There is here the finger of God. There really is a And the Pope has said that. Here is a true revelation of our Blessed Mother to the whole world through these three little children. It's as though one would say, uh, be at Central Park on January the 10th at 12 o'clock noon, yes. and you'll see a great miracle. Right. And, and they, if it happens. And the, the reason that the people were there, they believed the date, and they were there, even though it was raining, as we use the euphemistic expression, cats and dogs. See, it was a real downpour. They were soaking wet, and they were in the mud. But they believed 
what our lady told the children on this day you will see a special sign and they were there to see it That's despite good. the inconveniences of getting there and standing there and getting soaking wet so you think of the lord sends the blessed mother with a message we had better listen that's right yes so that listener should realize that what we, our attitude should be one of joy and gratitude that god sent our blessed mother to give us this special gift special favor <laughs> what'd you think of that uh come on that's that's like i wish we had more preaching like that today that's good stuff yeah private eighty thousand people seventy thousand people that's, that's private all right so let's tackle the question directly is hell empty and does the church say so no the church teaches there's a hell it's eternal and we know that the devil and many angels who followed the devil are in hell bingo Hell's not empty. We know it just from the devil and, and the evil angels being there. So there's point number one. Yes, the church does teach that hell is not empty. It's dogmatic and you can't get around it. So now that it's not empty, let's take this one step further. I got another clip for you from Father Harden. I think you're going to love it. He spoke about the empty hell now and then. He even got into this Hans Urs von Balthasar question. And then he talked about the problem with these teachers that would leave these open doubts. Let's listen to Father Harden. What do you think about Judas, one of the twelve? Is he in heaven, in hell or in purgatory? He is in hell. That's one reason I think I should say this. Why? When Ignatius Press sent me a copy of the not yet published manuscript of Urs von Balthasar. Remember? He wrote a book. He wrote a book on hell. But I please recommend the book. I called up Father Fescio. And I said, no. Because that book by Rose von Balthasar leaves doubts of whether there's anybody yet in hell. So I tell people, how long will the world have to exist to make anybody deserve hell by now? Somebody must be in hell by now. Am I making sense? Why was there a Judas? Well, the reason which the church gives is to prepare the faithful for apostate bishops. I'm not recommending the book, but one book it is an eye-opener is called The Wives of Henry VIII. He had six wives, First one, you know what he did to that one. Catherine of Aragon got rid of her. He asked the Pope to give him a declaration of nullity. So the Pope said, Henry, I can't do it. What did Henry do? He called the bishops. Three members. The name of the one bishop 
who told Henry, sorry, you cannot get an annulment. Who remembers? John Fisher. John Fisher. And he was bishop of what diocese in England? Rochester. What diocese? Rochester. Rochester. Anybody here from Rochester? <laughs> or East Rochester? You be the life of Henry VIII. And you see how important it is for bishops to remain faithful to Jesus Christ and his vicar on earth. No heresy has ever succeeded in history unless and until it was backed by a bishop. Pray, pray, pray for bishops. Well, you can't be too confused by that, right? I love that. So I asked him, what about Judas? Of course he's in hell. Did you have any doubts yourself? You shouldn't. Don't doubt it. We're heading into the time today, the triumph of the cross. Our Lord loved you so much, he doesn't want you to go there. Tell our Lord, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your cross and resurrection. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for loving me so much to endure that torture to save me. God bless you. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. Our Lady of Akita, pray for us. You have been listening to the Bellarmine Forum podcast, produced by the Bellarmine Forum, founded in 1965 as the Wanderer Forum Foundation on the heels of Vatican II to be a constant and reliable testifier and witness to the truth of Catholic teaching. This podcast is underwritten by an anonymous donor that asks us to tell you and remind you to say your rosary daily. This show is copyright 2020 Bellman Forum, all rights reserved. This show is distributed for the greater glory of God and the honor of his blessed mother.